welcome to the People Who Read People podcast with me, Zach Elwood. This is a podcast about understanding human behavior, whether that's reading your opponents at tennis or poker or board games, or about understanding the political motivations of people, or about understanding humanity in general. You can learn more about this podcast at behavior-podcast.com. If you want to get on my email list, I don't have anything automatic set up on the site, but feel free to send me an email from that contact form and I'll put you on it. I'm actually starting to work on a book about healing American divides and about how we have a lot more in common than we tend to think and how our main problem is our us versus them polarization and animosity and not as much about the issues as we tend to think. So if you'd like to be kept in the loop on that, send me a line. On today's episode, recorded August 5th, 2021, I interview Elisaveta Friesem. Elisaveta wrote a book called Media is Us, which recently came out. You can learn more about her work at her website, elizavetafreesome.com. That's E-L-I-Z-A-V-E-T-A-F-R-I-E-S-E-M. Elizaveta opens her book with something we can all probably relate to. She shared something on social media, but it turned out to be a bad take based on something that was taken out of context. I don't know about you, but this has happened to me many times, and I've learned to be very careful about the things I see and share online. I've just been bitten too many times, and I've believed and shared too many bad and distorted takes, so I'm much more careful. And that carefulness, that sense of personal responsibility for how we consume media, is what Elizaveta's book is partially about. We tend to think of media as something out there, as something that affects us, as something that can do something to us, as something we have to be cautious of, lest we fall prey to bad media. Or if we don't feel that way about ourselves, we tend to think that's true for other people. We have to police what they get a hold of, lest they, in their ignorance, fall prey to it. Elizaveta's book examines how we perhaps should not think about media as objects or systems that are out there, but should instead think of media as something that happens inside of us. Reading a book or watching TV is essentially the same process as talking to someone or talking internally to ourselves even. It's all just various forms of communication, of spreading or reinforcing ideas. Hence the book title, Media Is Us. That may seem kind of obvious or a semantic point at first, but if you really think about the implications of that, it might be important. For example, it might mean teaching people to have more responsibility for what they consume, for the conclusions they reach, instead of a focus on eliminating bad media. And maybe if we started thinking more like that in society, with more focus on our own responsibility and less focus on blaming certain technologies or certain outlets, it would eventually lead to less division and more alignment on a common reality. And Elizaveta's book is also about avoiding blame, about recognizing how amazingly complex humans are and how amazingly complex human relationships and communication is. And when you really recognize how complex things are, how many factors there are in these areas, it's hard to blame people. It's hard to get angry. And so Elizaveta's book is about more than just media. It's about life. It's about how we view the world and other people. It's about everything, really. A little more about Elizaveta. She's an editor of the Journal of Media Literacy Education. And she currently teaches courses at Columbia College, Chicago. She's passionate about using empathy to heal ideological and cultural divides. And her current work explores how media literacy education can be enriched through principles of nonviolent communication. The story Elizaveta opens her book with is about her seeing angry takes on social media about a Dove soap ad that many people thought was racist. If you Google racist Dove soap ad, you can find more about that. It was from 2017. But basically, the gist was that there was a section of the ad that showed a black woman removing her shirt to reveal a different woman, a white woman. And many people were drawing parallels between that ad and old racist ads that associated black skin with dirtiness. 
and Elizaveta did vet this angry take a bit. She saw respected news outlets talking about this. A Washington Post article, for example, read, A Dove ad showed a black woman turning herself white. The backlash is growing. A Time Magazine article read, Dove's racist ad isn't the first time the company was criticized for being offensive. Do you get the idea? We'll pick up the story from when Elizaveta is talking about her decision to share her own angry take online. So I went to Google and I wrote a Dove ad, or I even wrote Dove racist ad because, you know, obviously there are a lot of ads. So I thought, well, let's see what comes up. And lots of things came up, lots of articles, blogs, uh, people were clearly writing about it big time. And uh, some, some sources were trustworthy sources or that's something that I considered trustworthy back then. And I was like, well, if everybody's saying that, I guess, <laughs> I, I guess they looked into it and I shouldn't look into it any further. So I guess there's a problem. And so I shared it on my Facebook uh, wall and I wrote like, oh my God, how come? Like, it's so bad. It's still happening. So I shared that and I made this post public. And I was kind of surprised because uh, maybe like an hour later, I, I had three people who I don't, I didn't know. So three strangers responded to that. Normally, I don't have strangers responding to my public <laughs> posts. Um, and uh, all of them were critical of my interpretation. Two were kind of very succinct sarcastic sort of like if this ad exists it must be racist <laughs> some something like that i was like yeah whatever they 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 probably don't know they don't care and then the third one was a little longer and that one made me pause and it and it, it said well d did you see the the whole thing because that white woman actually also takes off her shirt and then it turns into a different woman who is like darker skin again and and my mind was actually blown that uh at that moment i was like oh my god like did i just miss something because i was sure this Every every media outlet that I I, I looked at, I, and I didn't do like a com comprehensive research, but I looked at a few, and they had this screenshot shot of putting together the picture of a, a, a black woman taking her sh shirt, and then a picture of a white woman like next to each other, two pictures. So it it seemed like they're just that, right? So this third comment uh, revealed to me that whoa, there's another person there. So I started reading more, and I realized that yeah, there there's a third person, and it's not maybe not the, her skin was not as dark as the first woman, but it was still darker than the second woman, and she she was she looked like more Hispanic, I guess, um, and her hair was definitely dark black even right and and then i read more and more and uh and, and at that point i started feeling really really bad i was so embarrassed right there was a lot more context it was just a small piece of the of the ad and taken out of context it looked bad but they were just switching oh. between many people basically yeah. yeah yeah i thought it was a great introduction because i think it gets at things that happen so often these days, I mean, it happens to me so often, and I, I see people overreacting to so many things online that are just, you know, the latest outrage of the day, where the next day you look into it and, and get the full context, and it's just people overreacting to something that was either deliberately or accidentally taken out of the context and shared, people getting like the immediate view. You know, I'm a video film major, and I actually worked as a 
forensic video analyst for, you know, legal and law enforcement for a very mm-hmm. short time. And the thing I know about video and audio, it's like, even when it's real, it's so easy to take things out of context and, 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 or, or for something to be shown at an angle that, that looks bad, like for real videos, you know, and, and yeah, I mean, I think your, your intro was great. I thought, because I think it's something that we can all relate to, like anyone who's a little bit critical of, <laughs> and thinking about how they use social media has probably lived through that multiple times, mm-hmm. you know, at this point, and hopefully has become more skeptical as we have over time. Yeah. So uh, if you had to give the one minute elevator pitch to someone about your book and, and why you wrote it, what would you say? Well, I guess I would say that um, I wanted to provide a different perspective on media. And I, my background or part of my background is media studies and media literacy. So I've read a lot of books and articles about media. And uh, I taught classes about media and communication. And I realized that something's missing. So that's why I, I, I felt uh, that I wanted to write this book. So uh, in this book, I, I talk about how media is seen as uh, something that has appeared recently, fairly recently. I mean, the last, I don't know, 150 years uh, recently, if you took the whole history of humanity, right? So, and it's something enabled by the latest technologies, Right. And so the idea is that media did not exist before and now it exists and it creates a lot of problems for us human beings. And I see a lot of people um, from different walks of life um, talking about media, being concerned about media, uh, scholars, educators, parents, politicians. A lot of people say that media is something we should be concerned about, that it can uh, cause troubles and negatively impact our lives, essentially. As I've been thinking about that, I I realized that the question that I want to ask is, do we really understand what media is? Uh, Because in all the books and articles that I've read, there's surprisingly little uh, space for definitions of media. It was just taken for granted. And most of the time, there were just huge presented huge list or small list like a sample of list like you know smartphones uh social social networks films commercials video games or media industry as people working in the media industry and all the time it was so media was uh presented indirectly as something different from the person doing the writing and and uh, something say worse than that person or something that can, can cause harm to that person or other people similar to the person doing the writing or thinking in this piece of publication, what whatnot. So I felt that that's, I was not satisfied with that, right? And I, I felt that it really, in order to better understand media, we can we cannot see it as just something separate from ourselves. It, it is important to talk about the latest technologies. It is important to consider new cultural forms and how they have changed our lives. But if we only look at those differences, we're, we're missing a lot because there are also important tendencies that have existed through ages that are not new that can be connected to something deeper within us. So when we start connecting questions about media to those 
to those deeper inquiries, we actually turn it into questions about ourselves. So, so my book argues that in order to make sense of the modern media, we should actually explore some deeper fundamental principles of human communication and essentially of what it means to be human. So, yeah, so the book starts as uh, almost like a media studies, media literacy exploration, but then it turns uh, really philosophical. And then I talk about how ideally this whole exploration will help us better understand ourselves and others. So it's not just about understanding media, literally, like, let's look at this movie and analyze what's, you know, what the author wanted to say, or what can happen if somebody watches it. It's not just that it's way, way bigger than that for me. Right. And so when we understand ourselves and others, we can enhance our awareness and self-awareness and enhance our empathy so that's a big part of my journey my exploration in that book and then engage in collaboration uh, that would replace polarization based on blame and so as you can see (laughs) i use my i use the conversation about media to start a really ambitious discussion here about polarization and all this stuff well yeah that that's what surprised me. You know, I, I expected your book to be about media theory, uh, and then you know it, it gets into the broader philosophical discussions of what power is, how we relate to each other. You know, it, it's like, and I think you know you're right in the sense that it spoke to me because you really, to me, you can't talk about any of these things without talking about us, you know, our humanity and how we relate to each other. Like mm-hmm. me- media is how we relate to each other. It's I mean, that is what it is. It's another form of us relating, you know, like when we read a book, we're relating to the person that wrote that, we're, we're getting, yeah. injecting these thoughts into our mind. And, and it made me think of, you know, to, to write a modern, uh, completely helpful media literacy thing, you know, would require, as yours does, you know, it requires talking about the psychology of humans, how they relate. Like you can't talk about media to me without talking about how people relate to each other. And that's what I thought was great about your book and really spoke to me because you're digging into the complexity, the interconnectedness of everything in a very holistic sense. It's like you can't examine one piece of any situation without realizing how hard it is to separate that piece from everything around it, you know, and that, that, that really speaks to me. And that's, I mean, that's what I see in in the world. It's like, you know, sort of like the, the distortions of social media, like your Dove ad experience. It's like, we're we're seeing one thing, overreacting to one thing, and not trying to understand how this thing is connected to so many things. I mean, let let alone the distortion. I mean, we there's the distortion element, but even if we think we're seeing it completely, we're not realizing just how connected everything is. Yeah. So I, I thought it was great. Yeah. When you talked about social media, um, right now, I was thinking about how I wrote this book to counter this view that is just media like films or social networks that distort the way we see the world and that's that's the reason why why we don't understand what's really going on and why we fight so when i list i provided this list of five fundamental um principles of communication and i talk about how people just by virtue of being human when they communicate, they create the world around them, uh, sort of in their mind. And what I mean is that uh, 
just to give you a, a simple example is, well, you think, okay, you turn on news and there's somebody there who uh, decided what story to tell and how to tell it and how to make a video for the story and from what angle to shoot and whom to interview. And so they create the way you see the story, right? Um, but you don't think about how... Um, Say you go to work and then something happens to you. You, you, you talk with your colleagues, you have a fight with a boss or whatnot. And then you go home and then you tell the story to your spouse and the exact same thing happens. You choose how to tell the story. You choose words. You choose the angle. You, ch you choose what to tell. You choose how to tell. So it's really not just, it's, it's not just something connected with technology it's not the comes it doesn't come from technology it comes from us being human <laughs> so if we it's it's important to do all this thinking when we watch uh, when we're watching the news but it's also important to do the same kind of thinking when we are talking to each other and telling each other how we see the world how we see things uh, and and at that point is yeah everything is connected exactly how you said it well and you push back on the idea in the book that you know, that the perception that a lot of people have is like, there's these entities out there that are all powerful and, and call the shots and we cannot, um, you know, compete with them. And, but you, you go into the, you know, which really comes first, the chicken or the egg thing. Like, you know, for example, you talk about Rupert Murdoch and Fox news and how his power is perceived. And it's really hard, you know, you make the case and I, I agree. And I've seen other work that supports this. It's really hard to make the case, you know, is he, is he actually uh, the powerful one or is it the, is he the chicken or the egg? Because you can also examine how it's, it's society. It's the people that, you know, desire that. And he's just giving them what they want and, or leading the cart, you know, and I, I recently interviewed Kevin Arsenault uh, and he had co-authored a book called uh, changing minds or changing channels, which was about the effects of political news, TV, cable TV, and his research showed that, you know, contrary to most people's opinions, most people were already p polarized before watching these polarized TV news outlets like Fox News or, or uh, you know, CNN, I guess, uh, the, on, the, on the liberal side, basically. Uh, you know, but it supports the ideas that you talk about, that it's hard to separate the chicken from the egg in, in that sense of, of which was the, you know, which came first. Yeah. I do talk about uh, power. I, I dedicate a whole chapter to the issue of power and I, I think it's super important and super complicated and this is actually a part of my book that I guess I'm most worried about I mean how people will interpret that because I try to be very careful in the book like believe me I, I, I thought about it like for so long and rewrote different parts so many times to to express this idea that I don't want to say that say with the example of Rupert Murdoch, right? That like we should, you know, you, you see him as so powerful and people who watch, uh, say, channels or read um, newspapers that his companies produce. Uh, so you see these people as uh, powerless, right? So I don't want to say let's flip this and so he's actually powerless and they're powerful, right? Right. I'm not actually talking about that because this is an interpretation that I would like to avoid. I'm actually talking about how the topic of power is so complicated that um, it shouldn't be seen through a binary 
through like this either you have power or you don't have or the world is divided into those who have power and those those who don't have power and i actually i uh, introduced there a whole theory new theory of power that called uh theory of micro and macro power basically the the idea is that one thing happens when we look at uh, relationships or interactions between uh, specific individuals. And it's very easy if you if you take a pair of individuals to see um, any specific situation, right? In a spe- specific place and time and p- pair of individuals, like it's super easy to say who has power over whom. Um, say a parent tells a child like go to your room or eat those vegetables or you know a boss t- tells an employee do this report stuff like that but then when you start zooming out of this very specific sort of snapshot of power and start seeing this relationship in the context of other relationships because each of the people in this pair is connected to so many other people and each one of those other people are connected to other people and 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 then it's become so complicated that our mind is like exploding trying to understand all that but the 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 more you're zooming out the more you're seeing how uh, the the person who is powerful in the specific situation, they are also influenced by other things that seem to be out of their control when they're influenced by those things. That, that doesn't make this powerful person not powerful. So since Rupert Murdoch does have power, right? He does uh, have so many people working for him and he does create all those media outlets and programs. And, and He could and, definitely make better decisions and that would have big impacts. Yeah, yeah like it, it does matter. I don't want to say that it doesn't matter that he doesn't have power, but it w- also it would be wrong to say that that he's sort of ex- in a vacuum. Or, yes, his power exists in a vacuum. Like just, he just has it, and that's it. And like he, so I guess uh, I was I was thinking how to uh, prior to the, this interview, I was thinking how to describe it in a way that would sort of m- make more sense. And I came up with this metaphor that I actually didn't use in the book, but I think I would use it somewhere. That uh, I think about society. Uh, as a, as a game and in this game this game is is not uh perfect <laughs> uh by far so in this game it, it has certain rules but some people break these rules and some people cheat and some people keep winning and some people keep losing and there are issues with this game like serious issues so i agree with that and but what i don't agree with is when some people say well look like look at the people who keep winning Right, uh, they are the one who control. They are the ones who control the game. Like they can fix it. They can fix the rules, and that's where I don't. That's what I don't agree with because they say, well, I I don't think that they can just fix the rules. Like they 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 maybe bend the rules and they um you know they 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 know how to use the rules to cheat the system, but they didn't create those rules. And that's the thing, because all of us are playing this game. All of us are creating those rules. Like we are. As we go. Yeah. As we go. Yes. To take a topical, topical example, you know, your, your book is, is always pointing back to the complexity. For example, like, you know, a, a cop committing excessive force against a citizen. In that context, people would say, well, they're, they have more power than the, the, than the citizen. But then a little bit later, that citizen could sue them and destroy their life, you know, and 
that that cop could face serious repercussions. So it's like the the power dynamics are always shifting. Uh, obviously, you know, in some context where there's not those kind of recourses or there's less social dynamics like that, then some people can get away with more. But yeah, your point is just pointing back to the fact that these dynamics are are so complex and, and nuanced. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's that's a good example. Yeah. One thing that strikes me is you know whether on the both on the left or the right across the political spectrum, it seems like so many people have such high expectations for media. You know, there's there, there's the sense of holding them to this standard that to me is just not realistic because media is just as you you know would say in your book media is just people it's just people trying to accomplish different things i mean news organizations get things wrong they make mistakes they're trying to sell papers you know it's i almost feel like part of the problem is is people having too high expectations for media and expecting them to do a great job all the time when really it's you know we could we could just be happy if they uh, mostly do a, a somewhat decent job <laughs> Yeah, I well, that's that's the that's the wording that I actually like. I I tried to be very careful uh, with this kind of wording in my book because I didn't want to say, well, going back to the Murdoch example, right? So you you say Murdoch is a problem, but like look at yourself, you're probably part of a problem. Like, and that's where I that's where that's why I had the next chapter after the chapter about power was all about blame and how it's not helpful, right? Because the, the point of the book is not to say, well, let's not blame them, let's blame them or us or, you know, <laughs> right? So it's not, it shouldn't be about blame at all. It should be about recognizing how complicated it is. So, and, and learning to help each other uh, instead of just, trying to undermine each other by saying that, well, you were, you were the problem. <laughs> Just a note here. I took out some of the interview here, and now I'm going to come back to me clarifying a question where I was asking her about how optimistic or pessimistic she is about our current highly polarized situation. To clarify, that was my question is like, can we get enough people, just to, enough people thinking in these ways to avoid self-destruction, which <laughs> I, that's, that's the part where I'm a little bit more uh. pessimistic about is like, obviously we don't need everyone thinking that way. We just need enough people trying to, trying to combat the us versus them kind of yeah. dynamics. But, um, yeah, so that was more what I was. <laughs> well, if we, you know, I think if we like you and I, at least, and I'm sure there are other people out there who agree with us, but, you know, if we want to uh, uh, avoid self-destruction, right, I think it's better for our own sake, right, to think that something can be done, because otherwise it's just so sad that we won't right, do yeah. anything. Well, yeah, I think that's the, the point, too, is like, even if, you know, e even if you're listening to this thinking like, well, obviously, I don't have much power, other people have more power than me, news outlets have more power than me. Even if you believe that, you know, we only have control over our own yeah. behavior, our own activity, our own actions. So if you do see how your own behavior can be playing a role in society, which I don't see how you can dispute that. And if you <laughs> believe that we're on the cusp theoretically of very bad things and you believe that these us versus them dynamics are bad, then, you know, I, I would say we only have control over ourselves. So mm. still there, you know, you can make the case to think about all these things and think about how you might be contributing to the, to the dynamics with your own behavior, because that's the thing that, you know, when I got interested in this stuff, because, you know, a couple of years ago, I was like anybody else. I was just posting whatever, you know, insults or 
random things popped into my mind because, uh, you know, about the other group, if I had a witty thing to say, or a, you know, a cutting <laughs> insult, I would post it. But then I, you know, and I, I'd always operated under the assumption that someone's in, sh in charge, you know, and someone out there is going to bring us together or save the day or something. But then, you know, seeing how things have progressed, I realized that no, you know, there isn't some system out there, some power, as you say, the power is spread out amongst all of us. That to me, you know, that's what changed my behavior and thinking about how my own behaviors may be contributing to these, these things. And I think understanding how it is so holistic and interconnected, you know, helps you want to change your behavior. It's not like, you know, it's not some uh, empathy, uh, saintly thing, you know, and I think that's another misunderstanding is like, we're, we're not trying to use empathy and, and because we think it's like the good or the right thing or some saintly thing to do. It's, it's more like once you see how interconnected everything is, you really can't help but act in a way that focuses on empathy and understanding multiple points of view, because it is the truth that everything is just so interconnected and everybody's behaviors, you know, your, what you post online has mm -hmm. an effect on, on the dynamics of the whole system. Mm -hmm. And that's what changed my behavior. And I'm, and, and maybe I, I think for some people, they go through that journey, you know, of, of making mistakes, like, yeah. you know, the Dove ad one that you talked about, and they start realizing like, oh, wait, I, I'm contributing to this. You know, to, to make the specific point, you know, reacting to the Dove ad, has the impact of the other side seeing this overreaction and that influences them in various ways. And so these dynamics are constantly bouncing back and forth, like conservatives seeing liberals overreact and get in a pretty crazy way about something minor makes them think like, oh, that side is completely unreasonable. They overreact, their overreactions and other, you know, their, yeah. their reactions to other things are similar to their overreactions there. So it has this dynamic of, of, of accentuating all the, the us versus them dynamics. Yeah. Anything you want to add to that before I uh, um, move on? Yeah, I just, I just, I guess I want to stress again this idea that I, I would like people to not to think, oh, I'm a part, of, I'm a part of a problem, but rather I can be part of a solution, mm -hmm. right? Because so you're avoiding blame. Yeah. So like, I don't want, you know, because it's so complicated that I don't want, I don't want to blame any. I think it's, it's not fair to blame anybody for contributing to the this this very complex dynamics that's uh in the, the, the grand scheme of things is like that's what makes our society imperfect right so i i agree that if we look at a specific case of uh, say abuse or 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 mistreatment like we can say well here's a person who abused that person right and and uh, uh or, you know or uh, those people right and 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 uh we can, we should fix that, but at the same time, we uh, we shouldn't think it's just like doing that or punishing that person will fix the whole problem because there are so many other things behind that. Yeah, and to take it, you know, probably too philosophical a step is I, I don't I don't believe in that free will is likely, and I, that that makes me see the world in a very holistic way because at the end of the day, I think we're all just humans having a very mysterious experience of things happening to us and, and things happening that were based on the moment before the past, you know, all these factors around us, you know, I, I'm not different from anyone else. And I think that's, that gets to what you're talking about, avoiding blame, because I don't blame anyone. I see it all, all as so complex, you know, and, and, and who is to say I, I'm right with my point of view, you know, I, what, what, would, what good would it do for me to preach at someone because I don't really know exactly what's going on either. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you you can say you are not different in some ways, but you're all different in other ways, right? And and that's what makes our society so wonderful. And that's what actually give to bring us hope is that because people are different, I mean, it creates a lot of problems because then they start arguing. But they can actually generate uh, solutions together by working together. If just there's one person and just stuck in their ways and they keep making mistakes, you know, historically we know situations when you know one person or a group of people got a, an opportunity to use their thinking to like modify a whole a way of life of a whole country, right? And that was not good, right? So that's why it's good that we're different and that we should tap into that difference right but at the same time acknowledging that we have a lot of things in common <laughs> yeah and by by not different from other people i just mean i'm not different in the sense that i'm just i'm a human like everyone else yeah. and the only thing that makes me different we are we all are di are different in various ways but the only thing that makes me different is my different experiences my different physical brain or whatever you know these various factors that uh we're probably getting to to a uh, broad philosophical here, but uh, uh, I did want to ask you, you know, when it, when it comes to empathy, when it comes to seeing other people's points of view, which I think is very important, even just for strategic reasons, like if you want to accomplish your goals, you know, it's important. Uh, it's very powerful to understand other people's points of view. And I, I wanted to ask, you know, sometimes I get pushback or, or there's pushback in general on the idea of empathy, because I think people can perceive it as, you know, weak, perceive it as submissive. You know, if you, if you tell some liberal people to uh, think about uh, Trump supporter points of view, for example, they, they'll be like, have a reaction of, of acting like that's weak, that's submissive, you know, why, why is it on us to do this? And I wonder if you, have you heard those kinds of objections and, and, and what's your responses to objections like that? Well, I definitely heard those kinds of objections and um, maybe not to people objecting to my own work, but just, uh, you know, I, I, I witnessed conversations or maybe tried saying something along the lines of like, well, let's try to understand them. And uh, I, uh, I think it's not just the idea that if you use empathy, you're submissive and weak. It's also the idea that if you're trying to understand the other side, it means you're also accepting, excusing their behavior to some extent. Mm, Actually, right. uh, I, I watched a um, podcast video um, by this really interesting person called, uh, his name is Robert Wright. Uh, he, he has a, a channel called uh, Meaning of Life. Uh, and in, in this in this video, he used a very interesting term that so, that spoke so much to me. And, and that's the, uh, the term was ex explain slash excuse conflation. Right. So people feel like if you explain, if you're trying to explain somebody's behavior, you're essentially excusing it automatically mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and uh, no and he's saying no that doesn't that's not the same uh and i'm say i i'm i write it in other words in my book is that we can understand other people's behavior w without accepting this behavior and i think as you said actually this kind of empathy is beneficial for us so we're not doing it for them, although in the you can see how it can also benefit the person you're you in know the long run. Yeah. empathizing with, like 
uh, but it benefits us because when we understand um, somebody's behavior, we can uh, better uh, react to the behavior or be prepared for this behavior. Or if we see, say, somebody make a mistake, and if, we, if we're trying to understand their reason and, and go in our explanations beyond, well, this person is just stupid, but then we start seeing as like, how this actually uh, has some parallels to what we might do, we can actually be more careful with what we are doing. Uh, it doesn't mean, it actually completely um, opposite to excusing their behavior. <laughs> it's actually just being then becoming more careful with our own behavior because we see it represented as somebody else and we, we, we are not happy about it. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it can be really beneficial for, for us if, if done correctly. I think that empathy is something that is not something that we should just uncritically put on the pedestal and say, well, I just empathy, empathy, empathy everywhere. Although I feel like I do that sometimes. Uh, but it also needs to be practiced in a certain way like uh, um, say if we if we are empathizing with like e use sort of like easy empathy and just empathizing to some with somebody who we already feel we should empathize with like this is easy mm -hmm. right but That's it's so easy. much yeah, more difficult yeah. to empathize with somebody right. who is who we dislike <laughs> that's the hard thing yeah. right uh, yeah, and there's a whole difference between cognitive and emotional empathy that's really interesting to understand. And um, yeah, so... Uh, I think I you hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the point that, yeah, it's exactly that about the conflation of, you know, people feel that under, acknowledging that the other side, that you can see the other side's point of view is giving, is saying that they have a point or that, that they're right. You know, and I see this every day because... I spend a good amount of my time on Facebook and, and Twitter or even just in person showing people how you can have a different point of view, uh, you know, on the opposite political side, you know, to, to be specific, to show how uh, there's some conservative points of view, showing those points of view to a liberal audience and showing how this doesn't make you a monster. It just means you're looking at it this way, or, you know, there's people even on your own side that can look at things this way. Uh, and, and I think when I try to do those things, often, you know, people focus on the issue itself. But uh, what I'm interested in, in is the almost the, the meta issue of how you can see those issues from different points of view. And I feel like that's what people get stuck on. They're, they're focused on you know, discussing the actual issue and showing who's right or wrong. But I'm saying, I'm just saying, mm -hmm. well, can you at least see the different point of view and how you could see it in a different way? And I think that's where people yeah. really get bogged down and, and they do feel that making, acknowledging that there might be that point of view that, you know, another, another person, uh, you know, a neighbor, a fellow citizen could have, uh, or even they themselves could theoretically have really can, can drive some cognitive dissonance and, and, and make them angry. I've had this, you know, almost every day because I'll post thoughts about how, you know, you can look at things from different perspectives. And, and even, you mm -hmm. know, I interviewed Michael Macy and he did research on showing how some of our, the way our political stances grouped together are pretty random and, and, uh, you know, probably arbitrary in the sense that they were kind of uh, led by early movers and in a, in a chaos theory kind of way. And we tend to make these narratives around like, oh, there's a reason that these, groups of stances grouped together for a political party, but really it might be 
pretty arbitrary, you know, and, and for an example, like you can imagine if uh, Trump had come out with uh, when COVID started with really strong, uh, strict mandates, you know, with the, with our polarization being what it is, you can imagine uh, liberals taking a stance against that and being like, this is draconian, like these lockdowns are influencing communities of color, poor communities, we need to not be so, so draconian. And you can see how the lines might have been drawn in a different way, just based on initial conditions, like there'd be a, a pushback to, to those things from a, you know, in a liberal framing. Uh, I think that Michael, that interview with Michael Macy and his work really opened my eyes to thinking about things in that way, like the things we tend to even just assume are make sense coherently are, are a lot of the times just us making these like post hoc justifications of like why the narrative makes yeah. sense, you know, and I think seeing that is, you know, is related to your work, too, because it's it's looking at the world and, and seeing this nuance and seeing how things could easily be different and seeing how you it's really hard to separate things or even say what thing how things are, you know, it's, and I think it's a form of humility, really. It's like I, these things are very hard to understand. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot for, for coming on, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for, for having me again. That was Elizabeth Friesen. You can learn more about her work at her website, elizavettafreesome.com. I'm Zachary Elwood. If you want to learn more about this podcast, check out my website, behavior-podcast.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave me a rating on iTunes. That's very much appreciated as it's the most popular podcast platform. I also very much appreciate shares of episodes you like on social media. This is definitely a labor of love. I don't make any money on it. In fact, I spend a good deal of time on it. And I'm not sure how much I can devote to it in the future. So I appreciate any help you can give me. Thanks for listening. Music by Small Skies.